All right, so Matthew chapter 21 is our text today. Matthew 21, starting in verse 23. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I will ask you one thing, which if ye will, if ye tell me, I will, or I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? Of, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned within themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not believe it? Believe, uh, why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. Which is an interesting wording. We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. So as we jump into back into our series of lessons from Jesus' questions, we can't forget that the whole point of Jesus' questions or at least a significant, I shouldn't say the whole point, a significant point of him asking the questions is to draw out their heart, to expose what's going on on the inside. Rarely is Jesus actually providing a test of knowledge. Like he doesn't say, like we had our pre-service meeting this morning, and every, so the service coordinator gets done and says, anybody have any more questions? And Sam says, I do. What's the square root of 4,322? <laughs> well, Jesus isn't going to ask you that question. And of course, one guy was trying to calculate in his head. I pulled out my calculator and I did it. And so I told Sam what it was and, because that's what I do. But <laughs> Jesus will not ask you the square root of 4,322. He will only ask you questions that you are able to answer. We're going to talk about that today. But first, but first we need to talk about kind of what's going on here. Now, this is, this is a bit of a heavy kind of mental exercise this morning. I'm not trying to lay out the day. You've already been through it. Look, I, I get it. You were trying to figure out what time the day started and day end and how many days, and I get it. Like, you are all, I will call you primed for this discussion. But today we're going to talk in our series study uh, point about the difference between inductive and deductive reasoning. And these are $5 words, inductive and deductive reasoning. You, there will not be a test. You, it's an open book. Open, you fill in the blank. You can take it or leave it. Now, this is slightly different from inductive and deductive teaching. For those of you who've gone through LFBI, maybe, or in the process, you will learn about different styles of teaching. Today, I will use both inductive and deductive teaching styles, and you won't even know what hit you. It's okay. It's just, it's just a thing, Okay. But we're going to talk about inductive and deductive reasoning for a moment. Also, we'll ask uh, you one thing, which if you will tell me, and likewise will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is setting up an inductive or deductive situation. So we're going to do, a, we're going to do a, a, an example here. Ben generally drives poorly. Yesterday... I saw him swerve to miss a bus. Last year, Ben hit five stationary objects in his car. When driving to work, Ben sometimes looks at his phone. And today, both the light post and Ben's car have damage. Therefore, Ben drove his car into the light post. Okay? 
That is inductive reasoning. You have to add in to the situation some additional facts to draw the conclusion. Okay? So it's highly possible, based on these things, that Ben hit the light pole. But we don't know, right? I would say maybe there's a 50-50 chance that Ben was the one that hit the light pole. Maybe Ben was driving perfectly fine past the light pole. Now, deductive reasoning, if you think of sitting on a jury, it's similar to beyond the shadow of doubt concept, okay? Ben's neighbor saw him leave the house to go to work. The damaged light post is on Ben's path to work. The car had no damage before he left. Ben's car is green and now has damage, and the light pole post has green paint on it and is damaged. Do you see how we went from a 50-50 maybe to a much higher, and, and there's still a possibility that a different green car hit the post, but do you see how we've increased the confidence of Ben hitting the light post? Are you with me? Mm -hmm. This is deduction. This is inductive. It's not induction, but it's inductive reasoning. Because I had to put in some preconceived notions or I had to put in, well, I think Ben's a bad driver, so he must have hit the pole, but maybe not, okay? And so what they call this is conjecture. You've probably heard that term. Conjecture versus a theorem, okay? That's, and, and again, those are just concepts. Now, you have to be very careful in your life with inductive and deductive reasoning. And I admit, I'm fixing to step on some toes. I told Michelle this yesterday. I'm fixing to step on toes. If I offend you, let's thumb wrestle afterwards, okay? I love you, but let's thumb wrestle. All right. The coronavirus adapts for animals before it can spill over to humans. We know that. It takes time to optimize itself so that it can infect humans. We know that. This process takes a little time in a laboratory, and it takes a long time. In a, it takes a long time naturally. It takes a little time in a laboratory-made pathogen. Within months of the SARS-1 and MERS outbreaks, scientists had found the virus in hosted animals before it jumped to humans. But now, H, uh, the, the WHO, the World Health Organization team, after testing more than 80 animals, from 209 species in 2020 found no trace of the current coronavirus in any animals, including the Wuhan market. So, oh, and lastly, the coronavirus includes a genetic code combination that has never been found naturally. Now, these are facts as far as I know them. I've not done this research, okay? Caveat. Drawing the conclusion that China weaponized the coronavirus, though, is conjecture. And this is where people get messed up. They apply, they've added in the concept that China's an enemy. They've added in every outbreak movie that they ever saw. We watched, was it Z, uh, uh, World War Z on Halloween night, because I'm not really super into like Freddy Krueger kind of stuff, so that was as close as we got to, um, you know, a scary movie. And it was kind of, Kind of weird watching this movie that came out earlier uh, much before, right? But to then say that China did this to damage us or hurt us or hurt the world economy, 
That's now conjecture. Are you with me? Even if it's man-made, there's all sorts of reasons how a man-made virus can get released, including error, including human error, right? So be careful when people, and this is how, this is how conspiracy theories get spun up, because people will use the concept of conjecture, the concept of inductive reasoning to say, to play on your fear, to play on your doubt. So if I didn't step on your toes then, let me step on your toes now, okay? According to Isaiah 11, there are four corners of the earth. According to Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1, there are four corners of the earth. According to Revelation 20 verse 8, there's four corners of the earth, okay? So, oh, and actually the face of the earth is mentioned about 60 times, 58 is the account I came up with, times in scripture. Conclusion, the earth must be flat because I don't trust the government, I don't trust NASA, and this says four corners, four corners, four corners, and one face of the earth, so the earth has to be flat. I would argue that's still conjecture. You're putting into the equation your perspective, okay? You're putting into that equation your distrust of the government. We didn't really land on the moon. I don't know if we landed on the moon. I'm anxious to find out what it's like in uh, interstellar travel, but I'm going to trust the Lord to provide that for me, right? So we have to be careful because I can also point to, oh, others would point to the fact that in Daniel chapter 4, it's interesting, they there's a tree that grew up and was strong and the height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to the end of the earth. Therefore, the earth must be flat. If I could see a tree that reached up to heaven from any point on the earth. Well, except for the fact you're dealing with a tree that's reaching to heaven, which is a supernatural event. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 says, he, Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. Therefore, we all must be on the same plane the earth is flat. Well, I'm sorry, you cannot apply physics to a supernatural event. You can't do that. All of these things can point to a supernatural explanation, right? And I have yet to talk to a flat earther who points to these three things, these four corners of the earth, who, will, who can answer me the question about how the Jews were told not to round the corners of their head. I'm not exactly sure where Ron's head, head's corner. Like, I can't see any corners on Ron's head. Unless it's the nose, maybe, in the ear. ear. I mean, I'm, you know, everybody's looking at Ron right now trying to find corners. But, like, you're not supposed to round the corners of a, of a globe. Like, they can't answer me that question. The reason why all of this is important, again, conjecture, it is a conclusion, and I would argue it's not an insane conclusion. I happen to disagree with it. I don't think the earth is flat because I got on a plane in Chicago, flew north, could look out and see the Great Lakes I was flying over, and I ended up in England. I ended up in England. <laughs> So I flew this way instead of this way, and I ended up in a different spot. A spot that I would have had to have gone this way to get to on a map. 
I don't happen to believe it. I don't think if somebody's a flat earther, praise the Lord, we'll see. I'll even bet you. I'll bet you a hundred bucks, and then when we find out in eternity, I'll pay up. Because I'll just have to scrape some gold off of the street and hand it to you. Right? Are you with me? You don't have to agree with me. It's okay. But are you at least with me that if you have to apply things into the story, it's inductive reasoning as compared to deductive reasoning? Yes, I've spent 20 minutes laying this groundwork. Okay? Now, not all inductive conclusions are right. Ben may not have hit the post. The earth may or may not be flat. Right? Are you with me? The coronavirus may or may not have been made with an intent to do harm. I don't know. Okay? But you must be intellectually honest about the conclusions. And this is where bad bad uh, doctrine comes from in places that we call Midtown Baptist Temple because they will, people will apply inductive reasoning using scripture to support their position and then point their finger in your chest and say, you don't believe scripture. Well, I'm sorry, that's not how logic works, my friend. That's not how it works. You don't get the right to draw a conclusion that could in fact be wrong and then challenge me saying, I don't believe scripture. That's the point where I get a little frustrated. I'm just going to throw it out there. I get a little frustrated. Being dogmatic about inductive reasoning can create these kinds of problems. Okay? It can cause people to point the finger at the pastor, say, you guys don't believe the Bible. I'm leaving and going to a different church. Okay. Okay. All I know is I'm the one who is still looking for the truth. You have come to a conclusion that may or may not be right. Some lack of confidence in the conclusion. And now I'm the one that doesn't believe your version of scripture. That uh, late 80s, early 90s reference. Homie, don't play that. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to say it. Do not allow the implications of the matter to dictate your answer. Do not allow. Well, I can't wrap my head around. If you believe, if you believe scripture points to a flat earth, God bless you. I am not mad at you about it. I happen to disagree, and we can be adults over that. Okay? I happen to disagree. And I will not... I will not call you out. I will not point you out on social media. I will not say you're an idiot. But we disagree. Excuse me. I am not about to choose my position internally or from this sphere based on what others might think of that conclusion. I either am convicted of it in Scripture through the Holy Spirit or I'm not. The reason this is incredibly important is you must, lesson one, you must check your agenda at the door. It was a very simple question. Was the baptism of John of God or of men? It's a, it's a simple question. But they couldn't answer it because they had an agenda. They couldn't answer the creator 
the creator of the world a simple question because of the implications of how they might answer? I would argue that it was not an inductive conclusion to say the baptism of John was of God. Why? Because look at this. I'm, I, I think I'm off a little bit. I am off. I apologize. I'm, I, I moved too far down on my points. So, so just put a placeholder there. The first is the issue was not technically one of Jesus' authority, but the implications of his authority over them. Right? When they said, by what authority dost, doest thou these things? In uh, Exodus chapter 2, he said, uh, and he said, Who made thee a prince to, and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me to Moses? Right? As thou killed the Egyptian? In Acts chapter 4 and verse 7, When they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or what name have ye done this? Because now you're messing with us. In Acts 7, 27, But he that uh, did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? In Mark chapter eight or 11 and verse 18, And the scribes and Pharisees heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And in Luke 22, verse 2, the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. The problem was they brought an agenda to the door. They were more concerned about the implications of their action than answering Jesus' question. Because that's how they play. They live for drama, right? We are in charge. If you have to act like this, this situation to be in charge, and that's how you play with people who, who are coming with authority and teaching and appear to be from God, like, that's not healthy. If you have to, to, to um, get down into the mud and play with the pigs in order to, you know, spreading the mud around in order to come out clean, that's not biblical. That's not how it works. So it brings us to our second lesson, you will never be asked a question you cannot properly answer. And, and I actually touched on this. You, can, you will never be asked a question that you cannot properly answer or answer properly. Jesus has not... So the baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? Jesus has not created a false dilemma. A false dilemma is an argument that is kind of the extremes usually is the tactic that most people play neither of the two answers are fully accurate or representative of the only conclusions you can draw right now these are a couple examples i thought you cared about other people but i didn't see you at the fundraiser for the harris people the harris family well can someone still care about people but not be able to go to the harris fundraiser of course that's a false dilemma argument Right? I mean, a false dilemma, either, you know, like a kid, either you buy me this book or, or obviously reading is not important. Okay? And, and you, we have all interacted with people like this. Some of us happen to be married to each other, right? Because I know I've fought like this not fairly in arguments with Michelle on things, right? Where I, I'm using absurdity improperly well obviously you just don't you don't want you don't want me to be happy <laughs> <What>? <laughs> like that's a false dilemma 
right? You, if, if we have to decide if we're going to support school choice or if we're going to support failing schools. Well, there's no other option. Now, Jesus didn't do this. I'm just checking the box here. Jesus didn't do this when he said, is it of God or was it of men? And some people would say, well, it could have been of Satan. Okay? It could have been of Satan. But technically, that would have implied that men were the tool that Satan used. Okay? So it would still fit under this. But this is, this is the part where I, I jumped ahead. The evidence, the evidence is overwhelming to deduce, to use deductive reasoning, that the baptism of John was from God and not from men. Look at it. Like the whole story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, right? I mean, John himself was kind of a supernatural birth, not a, a virgin birth. We'll see it, Ron. Not a virgin birth, but it, she was barren until she was older, right? God showed up in a very real way in that story. His stamp is all over that. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 5, And there went out uh, unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem were baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. There was an overwhelming response, not in and of itself, the one thing that you could say was the reason it's of God, but it's, an, it's, it's one of the evidences. John, uh, John himself, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost which actually happens, right? In Luke 3, multiple people come to John and they say, what shall we do? And, and, and they're looking to John for validation of how to live. In Matthew chapter 3, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway up out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending uh, like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven saying, lo, this, uh, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Like, I kind of feel like the evidence is mounting here that the baptism of John was clearly of God, clearly from heaven. So this is not an issue of them unable to answer the question. Even, even the challenge against John's testimony, he, well, he, he came neither eating or drinking, but yet they say he hath the devil. So his testimony is... He's not inebriated, yet they're saying he's acting like he has a devil. So Jesus hits this straight on. Was it of God or was it of men? Answer me. The answer is abundantly easy. And yes, I spent 30 minutes laying out Bible study to just get to that point that their answer was actually pretty easy, or it could have been pretty easy but they just couldn't stomach it. They just couldn't stomach it. What they did is they reasoned instead of trusted. They feared the answer. So our lesson number three, fearing an answer will get you nowhere. I, I thought about taking a, a big sidebar in the study and looking at, at the book of Job because Job has an incredible encounter with God and God says, where were you when the foundations of the earth were formed, right? Where were you when I was doing these things? If you can speak, speak, tell me. And Job's like, nope, <laughs> I'm out. 
It's like tapped out, right? I mean, he was like out of the fight. He he can't he can't fight against an almighty God. He just can't do it. So they feared the answer that they knew to be right more than answering Jesus himself. So they reasoned instead of trusted. If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, why then did you not believe him? Okay, let's explore that for just a second. If they would have said from heaven, and Jesus would have, this is conjecture, but why did you not believe him, him? Why did you not then believe him? A reasonable answer would have been, well, I now do. Right? I didn't have faith then. I've seen the testimony of John. Now I believe. The problem was not that they didn't believe. They didn't want to admit to believing. See the difference? But if we say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. So, so now they're politicizing a very simple question. Do you believe that it was of heaven from God or of man? Well, we cannot tell, which again is really simple or really interesting because the, the English there implies two things. I don't know or I can't say. We cannot tell. We cannot tell or we can't understand. And I would argue scriptural evidence is very clear. They had every reason to understand it. They couldn't articulate it. So the conclusions were actually right. I, I mean, maybe this isn't exactly what Jesus would have said, but it probably would have been down the path of, well, if it was a God, why didn't you believe him? Right? Or they feared the people. So their, their thinking probably wasn't in and of itself incorrect. The problem was that they feared the implications of actually verbalizing the answers. And let me just tell you, that's a bad place to be, believer. When Jesus puts a question in front of you, when scripture calls an issue in your life, do not back down from it. You've got to hit it head on. And you may not like the answer, but I guarantee you probably know the answers to the question. You probably know what you ought to do versus what you ought not to do. I had the opportunity to meet with a, with, a, with a young man. And he said, I'm either going to follow the Lord and lose my girlfriend, or I'm going to walk away from the Lord and go with, be with my girlfriend. And he drew the line. And he didn't like the very, he, he knew exactly what was going to happen. His reasoning was sound. He didn't necessarily want to lose her. And he didn't want to lose his relationship with the Lord. So he chose the Lord and he lost her. Exactly, praise the Lord. Now, still prays for her. Still desires that she comes to know the Lord. And maybe someday the Lord will do something in, in their life or whatever. Who knows? But I... You cannot choose to, to hold back on following the Lord because of your, you're fearful of the implications. Like, 
How bad would it be if you stood before the Lord and said, I know you were calling me to surrender my life, but I just was worried you were going to send me to X. Or you were going to ask me to do Y. You were going to ask me to memorize scripture. You were going to ask me to do discipleship or get baptized in front of people. (gasps) Right? For some people, that's like super fearful. I get it. But we haven't had, and I have, we've only been here a few years. I don't think anybody's died getting baptized. Anybody, somebody's been here longer. Have we had two people? Two people have died here. No. Uh, I was like, wait a second. I don't think anybody, it's a real fear, but are you going to, and, and some people, this is like an immobilizing fear. I get it. To stand up. And, and we even have ways to accommodate that. Like, we'll give your testimony for you. Like, we'll be happy to read your testimony or communicate your testimony. You don't have to speak, but the Lord's called you. Are you really going to allow that scenario to thwart your growth with the Lord? Is that really what's going to happen? So their conclusions were right. The proper response should have been something like John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, look at what Nicodemus says. Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Like, he knew that. So the, 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 the priests and elders that were with Jesus at this point in time, they could have said, look, it's clearly from God, but we don't understand the implications. Okay, well now we, now we can start talking. Jesus, we're fearful because we've been doing this one way and we've been saying this is right based on what we thought was your word and now it seems like the rules are changing. Teach us, help us understand how we were following what we thought was the the Lord and now you are here and things don't seem to be going the way we thought. Help us. Like that's a very valid response. When you are faced with that kind of question in your life, you have to approach it like that. Look at, look at uh, Saul's, Paul's response when he, on the road to Damascus, and he said, who art thou, Lord? He wants to know who he is. And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Awkward. He knows it's God speaking to him. Well, who are you? The one you've been persecuting. Sorry. Thought I was doing the right thing. It is hard for thee to kick against the prince. The kick against the pricks. Look at what Paul or Saul says. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will you have me to do? So when you get to that point... When you get to that point where God asks you a question and the, and the backside of the answer is scary, it could involve a different zip code, different country code, losing a relationship, changing things as you know them. Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Because I believe you're good and you're gonna, you're, if you're there, if you're walking with me, I can tackle it. And our last point before we wrap up. When you are not willing to address what you've been shown, God is not obligated to show you anything else. 
when he when he shows up, and I'm not talking like a minor point in scripture that you're not sure you understand. It's okay. We have those things and we process through those things. But I'm talking when he gets a hold of you and he convicts your heart and you know right from wrong, you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, he draws the line right there. Okay. Until you cross this line, this is as far as our relationship will go. And I, I believe that's, I'm not just like proving it in scripture. That's the testimony of scripture. And they answered Jesus and said, we cannot tell. And he said unto them, neither tell I you by, the authority, by what authority. I, I'm not obligated to tell you because you're not willing to address the truth. Look at Romans chapter one. We tend to kind of want to spin this a different way. And I, I probably shouldn't use the word spin, reflect it a different way. For the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them. This is not a false dilemma. God showed them. They understand. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. He is not obligated to continue to give you more information, to continue to grow you in your spiritual walk until you address the issue that you need to address with him. For most people, that's the issue of salvation. He has shined enough light in their life that they know he is the Savior, but they won't accept it because they don't want to change. I'd rather be with my friends in hell than people I don't like in heaven. Ah, what a horrible, ignorant statement. Well, hey, maybe you're creating a false dilemma. Maybe you get saved and all your friends get saved. And then we all go to heaven. Like that'd be an okay solution. Why are you all of a sudden thinking your friends can't get saved? Well, why? because we don't want to change, right? Because we don't want to change. Most people are there. Some people are at the membership thing or at the baptism thing that we talked about or, or they're at the discipleship thing. Like, do you know how many people... We had, a, we had a lady that attended this class who stopped discipleship. She has t- completely disappeared. Her response was, I don't want to have to memorize scripture. I'll do what I do to my sons. What? <laughs> like, what? That's the thing that's going to derail your relationship with the Lord, we don't even absolutely require it. There's options. Like, we'll, we'll, soak, we'll soak you in Scripture and you'll get pretty darn close. It'll be okay. It'll be all right. There's some people who are like, well, I just, I just don't like organized religion. <laughs> okay? False dilemma again. Like, I have to live in the world, or I have to go be a part of a church that's killed people in the, during the Crusades. Wait, maybe there's Midtown, and we didn't participate in the Crusades. Like, I'm, you've talked to people like that, and, and it's different equations, different parts. The, the young lady that got baptized this morning, she touched on that, I, I felt like. The history of the church is a tainted history. 
of, and I'll just use, I'll plot my air quotes, the church, as portrayed by the world, is tainted. Yes, that's true. But you're going to die and go to hell, or you're going to allow your relationship with the Almighty God, who didn't do those things, to be marred because of your perspective, or what you read in a history book, or you're concerned about your peers, or, like, come on. Jesus cuts right to the heart of the issue with these scribes and, and elders. He gets right to it. Is it of God or is it of men? And we all have those decisions. I don't know that we all have those decisions today, but I know you've been faced with that. And I'm going to pray here in just a second. And I'm going to pray that the Lord brings back up that decision that you need to make if you've, been, if you've like walked away from it for a while. Like, I am praying that the Holy Spirit will call the question in your life. He'll call the question to where you have to face it. Okay, do I believe this or am I going to follow the Lord? It's a very, it, look, the easy button sitting right there. It's super easy. We just don't like the consequences. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you.